this is the Private Citizen, your weekly data privacy podcast, episode 18, for Wednesday the 6th of May 2020. Xiaomi brazenly collects user data on their phones. Hello everybody, my name is Fab, I am coming to you from Hamburg, where it's a lovely evening, lovely sunny evening, and I'm sitting inside recording a podcast... Well, it's locked down, <laughs> which is kind of good for my productivity. Um, how how do you do? How are you, how are you doing? Um, we have, I guess, we have lockdown light now. Uh, you can kind of more things have opened, and still can't go to uh, Schleswig-Holstein. Still off limits, and now you have to wear masks everywhere. Of course, uh, I'm not wearing a mask. Podcast would be sounding like this. We don't want that. Actually, that's uh, it's been a problem at the supermarket when you talk to the cashier and you're like, and then the cashier is like, <laughs> uh, it's been there's been some very funny scenes, but uh, that's enough Corona talk. We are not having Corona talk on uh, today's episode. We're talking about Xiaomi. Um, and yeah, and the problems that have surfaced with their smartphones. That is our topic for today. Uh, you might be asking who is Xiaomi. Um, if you're not into phones and like, you know, following technology news or whatever, or reading the reviews, uh, if you just buy iPhones <laughs> like normal people, um, you might not know, know of them. They are, uh, Believe it or not, the uh, fourth biggest um, manufacturer of mobile phones uh, after uh, Samsung, Apple, Huawei, number four is Xiaomi. Um, they're quite new on the block, though. Uh, they were founded in 2010. They were founded in 2010. Oh, God, this, this means I need some coffee. Hmm. To help me pronounce things, it's like evening. I need to. I need to power through. <laughs> um, yeah, so they are number four, and they've been around since 2010. They actually have their own. They make their own chips, like like Apple and Samsung and Huawei, I believe. And um, I know them because when I was still working for Heiser, um, you know, I used to sit in on a podcast once in a while and um, sometimes the topic was smartphones and it was like, and a lot of it was Android phones um, because, you know, if you want to buy an iPhone, it's just, you know, there's like two models or whatever, <laughs> you buy one of them. But with Android phones, there's always a big, um, big choice. And uh, Xiaomi came up quite a lot because what they apparently, their thing is um, their phones are quite cheap but they're quite good um well for the price they have like you know they have like quite they're not they're not like the 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 leader mostly with the phone features but they're like they have good they're like good you know state of the art phones and they have like the features that all the other um big smartphones have maybe a year later or whatever but like they they're quite cheap uh, in comparison and so a lot of people buy them because they want to they want good good specs but they don't want to pay that much money although you know they're not that widespread in europe i think it's it's getting more and more and uh certainly i think they're, they're being sold more in europe than in the us um i think they're being sold quite a lot like directly through amazon uh 
um, instead of, you know, at uh, carriers, you know, where you, you know, you, you get a contract and you get a phone. That's, I guess that's how most people get their phones, especially Android phones. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, they, they are, they are so big because they are apparently, and, and I didn't know this, I, you know, this is from my research for the show. Um, there are the biggest, they sell the most devices in the two biggest markets, which are China, uh, which is the home market where they're bigger than Huawei, uh, when it comes to phones and also India, which is market number two, you know, second biggest smartphone market. And that also makes sense with the price, I guess, you know, because most of the real high end phones, I guess, are sold in Europe and the U S, um, yeah, so um, that's that's who Xiaomi is. What are we? Why 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 are we talking about them on a privacy show? Well, I can tell you why we're talking about them uh, on a privacy show, because uh, Forbes broke a story last week that they are actually uh, collecting massive amounts of data on their phones. Well, it it seems seems that way. Um, there was a uh, security researcher called Gabby Solik, uh, who I guess is a guy, which is a bit weird when you're from Germany because Gabi in German is a, uh, a woman's name. It's uh, short for Gabriela, I guess. Um, most people, it's, yeah, there are not many Gabriela. Most people that have that name are just called Gabi, I think. <laughs> um, and. Um, yeah, uh, so he found, I guess, contacted Forbes because he found some stuff. He bought a Redmi Note 8, which is, I guess, is their flagship device. I mean, Xiaomi, Redmi is kind of their brand, I guess. I don't think they can call it Note 8 because there's also the, you know, the Galaxy Note. So <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, he had one of those and... um he discovered some stuff and then getting contact contact with uh, Forbes. They they have uh, at the beginning of the story they sum it up quite well. Um, it's a backdoor with phone functionality. Quips Gabby Sirlik about his new Xiaomi phone. <laughs> Thought that was uh, that was putting it quite well. So Xiaomi, uh, like many of these companies from China. Uh, use android they have their own I guess you'd call it a distribution their own version um of android and uh with their you know their own look and their own apps and i guess uh, of, of course because they're from china at least on the chinese phones uh they're on app store because generally you don't have the the google app store in china because china kind of clamps down on what you can install and so generally they have their own app stores over there i don't actually know i think i mean when we were talking uh about these uh at heiser i think there were mostly um they always had their own app stores on there um i don't actually know if you can get them with uh the google app store although you know that certainly xiaomi apps in the google app store which we're going to talk about a bit later but you know they have their own version version of android and you know 
obviously, because they're a big device manufacturer. And um, so he was he's a security researcher, had his like Redmi Note 8, and he noticed that there was like, you know, what is what does a security researcher does if he gets a new device? You know, he puts it in a, in a, in a, in a special Wi-Fi network and does some packet sniffing. <laughs> I think that's the first thing you do just, just for fun. And he figured out that there was a lot of data, like a lot of data being sent to some servers um, that were hosted by Alibaba, which is another, it's kind of another Chinese company. It's kind of the Chinese equivalent of Amazon, I guess. They, you know, they have, they have a retails, online retail store, but they also do like, you know, AWS stuff, cloud computing. And they use a lot of Chinese companies because obviously like the Chinese you know, they need to use Chinese servers and stuff like that. And so apparently these servers were rented by Xiaomi. And uh, he was like, what's going on? Why is it sending that much data? And then he figured out uh, that this phone was like collecting a lot of data. Um, it was, um, so the, the default browser that is like Xiaomi has their own browser that's installed with the US, at uh, the OS, sorry. <laughs> um more, more coffees in order i think so the default xiaomi browser um records all the websites that are visited and all search engine queries and in, in forbes they specifically mention google and also DuckDuckGo. so they don't care you know DuckDuckGo being a privacy oriented search engine and built that way they obviously don't care that you want to be private <laughs> when you use that you know the, the xiaomi isn't they just collect those search queries anyway um all items viewed in the news feed app that comes with the os um the browser is tracking all of this even when you're in incognito mode and also the os records what folders are opened on the device and what screens you it's so where you swipe which includes the status bar, I guess. I don't know what state. I guess that's when you, you know, pull down the options or something. But also the settings page, and uh, there are also suspicions that the phone might also um, report when an app is open. You know, whenever you open another app that doesn't belong to the operating system. And what does it do? It uh, it not only records this data, it sends this off to. Um, to ostensibly Xiaomi, to these servers, which were in Singapore and, and in Russia. But uh, the domains they were using were registered in Beijing. Um, and now, <laughs> this is great. It's my favorite part of the story. I also like Forbes writing this, obviously, for a more um, less tacky audience than us. <laughs> so uh, bear with me here. Though the Chinese company claimed the data was being encrypted when transferred, in an attempt to protect user privacy, Serlik found he was able to quickly see just what was being taken from his device by decoding a chunk of information that was hidden with a form of easily crackable encoding known as Base64. <laughs> so no, that is no encryption. <laughs> that is like saying, okay... Um, you know all the text we uh, key log on your device we uh, we convert that all to uppercase so it's, it's, it's encrypted <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, and unsurprisingly, uh, they go on to say it took Surlik just a few seconds to change the garbled data into readable chunks of information. Um, I'm quote, my main concern for privacy is that the data sent to their server, that the data sent to their servers can be very easily correlated with a specific user once, once, sorry. Well, I mean, yes, that is, uh, specifically the case because of course they control the operating system. Um, and I would say, you know, normally in Android, um, apps are supposed to use like not like the email number or something to identify the user, but use like this same uh, iPhone, I guess, as well. Uh, but they're supposed to use this advertising ID, which you can change manually. Um, and, you know, it's, it's supposed to be less trackable. But, you know, if you own the OS, you can do pretty much anything you want. Uh, you know who the user is. Uh, probably from directly from the information they registered with the carrier when they, you know, registered the device, but also, you know, the EMI number, you know, everything they do on the device. So it's pretty easy to figure out who they are, uh, when you control the operating system. Um, yeah. And in this case, of course, because they have their own version of Android, um, they really control the operating system more than you, you know, Google, uh, who, makes android but doesn't make this version of android and doesn't you know compile it and doesn't have the backend service and all that but uh they also found out that this isn't only happening um if you bought a uh xiaomi phone but they also have apps uh meanwhile at forbes request cybersecurity researcher andrew turney investigated further he also found browsers shipped by xiaomi on google play me browser pro and the mint browser they're like ripping off names of other people aren't they uh, we're collecting the same data together they have more than 50 million down 15 million downloads according to google play statistics um i have absolutely no idea why if you do not have a xiaomi phone you would download their browser of google play but uh, 15 million people did so um yeah and they also think this is not only the redmi note 8 um so Surlik then went and downloaded some firmware for other phones uh including the xiaomi mi10 the xiaomi redmi k20 and the xiaomi mix 3 um and he confirmed that they have the same browser code based on the firmware so, you know, it's, I guess it's safe to assume that they have the same privacy problems. Now, what are they doing with this data? Why are they collecting it? Um, we don't really know. They figured out that Xiaomi um, uses the services of a company called Sensors Analytics, which is also known as uh, Sensors Data, which is a Chinese startup and they do tracking i mean they do uh quote there are there are a quote provider of an in-depth user behavior analysis platform and professional consulting services so they do you know it's the same thing if you have, uh, embed these yeah if, if you're a news website right and you embed these uh javascript trackers on your page that track where like the attention of the user goes what they're reading where their mouse cursor is while they're reading stuff sorry there's a reason i have like <laughs> a 
<laughs> ton of coffee. Sorry, give me a second. I need to refill. Um, as is obvious, I don't really want to yawn on my own podcast, but I've been doing a lot of work recently, and um, I've not been sleeping that much. It's just this, you know, um, it's a difficult situation for everybody right now, so I try to just do a lot of, you know, get as much work done as I can, earn, an, earn as much money as I can uh, while I can, because uncertain situations for freelancers, you got to kind of, you know, you got to work while you can, so I'm kind of doing that. <laughs> so uh, let's, let me have some more coffee. Oh, that's hot. Hmm. Right. Um, so they're using the census data company, which, you know, does tracking. And they, they obviously tell them, you know, what, what websites you visit. Where I mean, it, it's, I don't know, but it looks like to me that they're kind of trying, you know, they're selling their phones quite cheap. Um, and it looks to me like they're kind of trying to recoup some of that money that you're saving by buying a cheaper phone um, by tracking you and selling your user data to people. Uh yeah, so apparently the guy who founded Census Data uh, is uh, a gentleman called Sang Wenfeng. Sang Wenfeng uh, has a long history of uh, user tracking. Uh, quote, a Chinese internet giant Baidu, which is kind of the Chinese Google, he built a big data platform for Baidu user logs, according to his company bio. Um yeah and that's 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 what's what's going on that that is the story that broke now what is even more concerning about this i personally think is how xiaomi reacted now they got they got caught here uh i guess um and then you think how would you um expect a company that got caught doing this stuff to react and i mean I think this is a bit of a cultural thing as well because what they're doing there, you can probably get away with in the Chinese market. I've never been to China, but just the stuff I've read, you know, just this kind of tracking um, seems to be a lot more accepted over there. I mean, just recently when we we're talking about these contact tracing apps and all that stuff, uh, I mean, the, the amount of tracking they were doing in China with this outbreak uh it's just something that would just leave people aghast in your well I've, I've, god i say that uh, you know a few months ago i would have said it would just outrage people in europe now all bets are off uh with the stuff i've seen in the last few months it could might as well be that the germans go yeah so save us from the virus um let's let's track everybody who knows but you know generally speaking china is a more more open to these kind of things. I don't know why that is, uh, if it's a factor of just living in a totalitarian state like that. Um, it might be a cultural thing as well. Uh, you hear these kind of things about people who have done business in China, about the cultural differences and uh, that there's a marked difference about, you know, um, expectations of privacy, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, they, they were caught here uh, and obviously in Europe this kind of stuff doesn't fly. You, you Now you can think, how would you expect a company to react to this? Well, I can tell you how they reacted. Uh, in response to the findings, as Xiaomi said, the research claims are untrue and 
privacy and security is of top concern, adding that it, quote, strictly follows and is fully compliant with local laws and regulations on user data privacy matters. But a spokesperson confirmed that it was collecting browsing data, claiming the information was anonymized, so wasn't tied to any identity. They said that users had consented to such tracking. Um, well, they say they they are strictly following and are compliant with local laws. I can, I am, you know, I haven't seen the phone. I haven't seen what it does. I haven't seen the user experience. I am from my, you know, I'm just, reading the story right just take that in mind but i'm 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 prepared to bet this is not gdpr compliant uh because if you need to collect that kind of data you need to under gdpr you need to you need to have users explicitly opt-in that means you have to pop up a message tell them what you're doing it can't be in some you know terms of service somewhere you have to explicitly tell them we are going to collect this browsing data and then you have to click like a button at least probably i don't know sometimes you have to get an email and confirm that it then there needs to be like positive opting into this kind of thing and i have a feeling had they done that even with xiaomi phones not being that widespread in europe this story would have broken a lot earlier um because you know i mean i know for a fact that my colleagues at Heiser, who I know are testing these phones, uh, if they get a message like, you know, if they, if they have a new test device and they test a new Xiaomi phone and it says, you know, you set it up and it pops up and says, we're going to track all your all your search queries and all your browsers and every screen you visit in this phone. If they clearly said that, um, they would have noticed and they would have written about this and Forbes wouldn't have broken the story ages, uh, you know, just last week. This would have been common knowledge um ages ago so i really i'm pretty sure this is not gdpr compliant um also they're saying it's it's it wasn't tied to any identity um now if i had gotten that response i would have asked them to prove that well to prove that to show me what they do uh to anonymize it um you know because if you collect that data as a phone provider, as a, as a manufacturer, uh, as the owner of the operating system, you kind of know by default. I mean, then the, if you collect this amount of data, every website somebody visits, every search query, every app they open, and every screen they go to, every news feed they read, the metadata alone, without knowing anything about the person, if you just throw that in a, you know, quote unquote big data analysis ai buzzwordy blockchain thing um and you just do data mining on that you will you will figure out who this person is it's kind of like when we talk about location data i mean if you have that kind of amount of even though you know you might not explicitly um look for that information you know what i mean but you have that information it is there you can get it out of the data which think legally has this has to be treated as not being anonymized and generally isn't at least in europe i guess um but you know as these security researchers uh also have pointed out they're, they're just collecting a lot of data apparently they're also collecting like unique numbers um so attorney wrote a blog post on this and uh they have like some some id 
uh, which is, uh, I guess, theoretically like an advertiser. It's like a temporary ID, but apparently they keep it for so long that it's really not temporary at all. And I, I just, I don't kind of buy that. And also, um, then the story says, I mean, this is still a Forbes story. Xiaomi responded to them, obviously. Xiaomi spokesperson also denied that browsing data was being recorded under incognito mode. But they have two security researchers who found that. And they did a video as uh, as proof. And then, quote, when Forbes provided Xiaomi with the video made by Sir Lick showing how his Google search for porn and the visit to the site Pornhub. Nice. Uh, I like his balls, by the way. Nice. Uh, nice test site. <laughs> um and the and a visit to the site Pornhub was sent to remote servers. Even when in incognito mode, the company spokesperson continued to deny that the information was being recorded. Quote, this video shows the collection of anonymous browsing data, which is one of the most common solutions adopted by internet companies to improve the overall browser product experience through analyzing non-personally identifiable information. Um... So you just said that uh, logging somebody's vi browser visit in incognito mode to Pornhub is telemetry used to fix the product. Right. <laughs> um, what, what are you fixing? Like, in case Pornhub doesn't work on... what? I mean, sorry, what? <laughs> um... Yeah, no. So the security researchers are saying this is... Nah, it doesn't fly, you know. I mean, the other browsers like Chrome and Safari collect information, uh, you know, to to troubleshoot web, you know, rendering and stuff. But uh, this is all, you know, this is usage, general analytics usage and, and crashing apps and stuff. It's not like every URL um without explicit consent in private browsing mode as this researcher Tierney says um also i mean there there have been outcries in the past because um obviously browsers have these uh things some browsers i mean chrome has that where you you type something in the um in the in the title bar which is also the search bar and it auto completes you know it 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 tries to figure out what you're typing or what website you're trying to go to to do that it needs to send what you're typing to the servers and people have people don't like that and that is kind of i mean it's a, it's in effect it's a similar thing but it it serves an actual purpose Right, this is just collecting data, so it's it's even worse than that. Um, and then, of course, like just um, telemetry data collected to improve software is also uh, controversial. I mean, Windows Ten, uh, Firefox collecting certain. I mean, there was a big outcry uh, a few weeks ago about Firefox. Um, collecting information so what they were doing is firefox was sending um information back to mozilla 
if Firefox wasn't your default browser and it's sent information back to Mozilla telling them what your default browser was and people didn't like that. And Mozilla was saying this is because we have reports that um, on Windows, Windows keeps resetting the default browser to um, to Edge, uh, Microsoft's built-in browser. And they were like, we need to kind of need, we need numbers on this. We want to figure out why uh, we have kind of a feeling that Microsoft is doing that to get people away from Firefox. I mean, they weren't saying that, but I guess that's what they're, they're trying to prove or something anyway. Um, so, I mean, this is definitely... Uh, a touchy situation and i guess xiaomi knew this or they um they must must have known this beforehand if they had any clue and they're the fourth biggest maker of more fun so they should i guess um xiaomi also confirmed that sensor analytics is involved now this this reply is also very interesting uh, quote, Xiaomi's spokesperson confirmed the relationship with the startup, quote, while Sensor Analytics, pr Analytics provides a data analysis solution for Xiaomi, the collected anonymous data stored on Xiaomi's own is data. <laughs> Sorry, let me quote this again. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start over from the beginning after I had some coffee. <laughs> Sorry. Xiaomi's spokesperson confirmed the relationship with the startup, quote, while Sensor Analytics provides a data analysis solution for Xiaomi, the collected anonymous data are stored on Xiaomi's own service and will not be shared with Sensor Analytics or any other third-party companies. So what you just said there was, while, so Sensor Analytics does data analysis for you. But you store the data on your service and no third parties, including sensor analytics, have access to it. How do they do data analysis on data they don't have access to? This statement doesn't make sense. It pisses me off when journalists are like, right. You get the response like that. You need to, I mean, you need to ask back, like, what do you mean by this? This doesn't make any sense. And then if they keep repeating it, you need to put up, well, you know, don't answer you. You need to put in your story that this fucking sentence doesn't make any sense because otherwise the reader is just confused. Well, meanwhile, I was confused because they say data are stored and I can't get used to data being used in plural. I know it's correct. I know you can do that. But for me, it just, you know, I've never... I'm just not used to that. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I don't know how they are doing data analysis if they don't have access to the data. Now, a few days after all this broke and, you know, this reply was in there and then uh, Xiaomi wrote a blog post. Um, so uh, a few days ago, the register reported, quote, today the phone vendor, Xiaomi, issued an update for its Mi Browser, Mi Browser Pro on Google Play and Mint Browser on Google Play to, quote, include an option in incognito mode for all users of both browsers to switch on off the aggregated data collection, which should, in theory, when disabled, stop Xiaomi software harvesting URLs and other stuff in private mode. Hmm. Wow. Now you can switch data collection off in privacy mode. You'd think that was switched off by default in privacy mode. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, this is obviously for third-party apps. No news what what they did on their phones. If you buy a phone from them, we don't know. Um, 
but I think we know from them. Sorry, I need to adjust my mic here for a bit. Sorry for the noise. Um, it's it's like it's like doing things I don't like. <laughs> um, it's drooping. I don't like it to be droop. Why is it doing that? It's never done that before. Wait, I think this screw have. Well, this is great podcasting, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not cutting. I'm I'm not editing these, um, so I'm not getting them. That you'll you'll get everything. Um, I'm just trying to be comfortable here, so I need to like my mic boom to work. Um, yeah. So I, I I think you can tell by this response, which I mean, they're they're. I think um, this kind of tells us that they knew what they were doing. Then fixes up very quickly. Um, I think they knew this was wrong. Uh, we're doing it anyway, and once they got called out, um, they changed it. But they haven't apologized. They've never said they were wrong. Um, at first, they denied it. What ha it was happening in response to the story, pushing out that patch tells us, you know, that was uh, that wasn't true. Um, so the uh, claiming the researchers were wrong obviously was dumb. Uh, they knew they were right because they pushed out the fix. I don't know what that. I mean, it's just brazen. This strikes me as very brazen. That's the thing that I've been noticing recently about like Chinese companies. They do this kind of stuff. And they're incredibly brazen and 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 just like arrogant and and barefaced when they do this kind of stuff they just don't give a crap uh because i guess that's like you know they're used to dealing with their home markets and 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 maybe this kind of response flies over there but i would hope it doesn't doesn't over here like i i have never bought a xiaomi phone i would never buy a xiaomi phone after the story um i hope you won't either if i had one right now i'd be uh actively working to get a new phone because I don't, I don't want crap like that. Um, yeah, and there just seems to be so. I don't know. You know, you, you think like, I mean, it's not like I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm I'm against China or whatever. I mean, people who know me and have read my tech newsletter, uh, Fab Industry slash newsletter, by the way, daily tech newsletter. In case you didn't know. Um, oh, speaking of that. Um, by the way, uh, I, I didn't mention this before. Lots of all of this is in the show notes. Uh, you can read up on it. There's links or information, and and that's on the website, which is privatecitizen.press. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm a bit <laughs> I'm really a blacking sleep or something. A bit of my game here. Um, but you know, I mean, you think like a a Western company like apple or google i mean it's not they do stuff like this tracking you know google as well but they're just not that brazen about it and when they get caught they're like humbled which okay you know just for a bit and then they keep doing it again but this is even worse they're even more this is even more brazen and i kind i don't know reality seems to um seems to uh give them uh seems to suggests that their strategy is working because this story broke like last week and already all the uh mobile phone journals haven't have forgotten about it like 
in the meantime, Xiaomi has released like new phones, or maybe they did this on purpose to bury the other story, and they're just like all these mobile phone journalists are just writing about all the new phones, like they're just chasing the new shiny thing. You know, look over here. <laughs> What's this? Look at that. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Look at that. <laughs> um, it's amazing to me. Um, so maybe it's also because of the general coronavirus situation. But this story seems already been forgotten. Um, and they're just burying it with new product news. And there's just this one Forbes story out there. And that's it. Even though, as far as I'm concerned, this whole company, this whole brand is dead. As far as like the European and US markets are concerned, they should be dead. This is, this is bad. And I'm not, you know, I'm generally, I'm, I'm generally not against China. Like I've, I've defended, um, Huawei a lot. You know that. Oh, sorry, that's what. Well, God, I'm so, <laughs> so off my game. I need more coffee. That what I was, what I was talking about in, you know, when I, when I mentioned my newsletter. If you, if you've read that, then you know that in this whole trade war against Huawei, which I reported a lot about uh, because it was a big story b before the pandemic. pandemic. Uh, hit, uh, you know, it was a, uh, it was the big story. And I was kind of like, I wouldn't say on the side of Huawei, but I'm, I'm, I'm constantly pointing out that, you know, just, saying, oh, they're Chinese, they, we can't have them in our 5G networks, they're spying on us, it's just totally hypocritical because, um, you know, we know that US intelligence services and other intelligence services are spying as well. And, I mean, you can say we don't want, like, the Chinese spy stuff in our networks, but, like, if you do that, in the same sentence, if you were a good journalist, you have to point out that all the other people, all the other countries are spying as well. And, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a German user of a 5G network, um, I don't want the Chinese spying on me. I don't want the Americans spying on me either. It's not like I like them anymore. They're more our friends. We know they're not since Snowden, you know. They fucking spied on Merkel's phone. Um, there are enemies when it comes to this, as much as the Chinese are. You know, you'd think, oh, the Chinese, yeah, they're stealing all our trade secrets. Yeah, you, you don't think the American intelligence services aren't doing that? If there's anything to steal? Seriously? Give me a break. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> they're not accountable to anybody. Um, at least, you know, it's then there's never stopped them. Um, I mean, they, we know they've, they've, they've killed people. Um, so you know, I, I I don't think they'll they'll stop uh, at at industrial espionage. So that's you know, it's, I'm not generally against that. Um, and I know there's lots of tra tracking happening with European and US companies. I mean, it's just like how brazen they are. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> that, and they're, they're also sloppy. I mean, it's, they don't even have the uh, the good sense of fucking encrypting this traffic. You know, it's GLS encrypting it. I mean, what? Christ, base 64. They're just, it's incredible how little they care. Um, that just, you know, that, that just struck me when I read the story. Uh, but yeah, I definitely wanted to report on that. I think it's an important story. I think uh, we need to remember this. You need to, whenever you you want to buy a new phone, you see uh, the, the, the brand Xiaomi. Uh, you need to remember this episode and your brain needs to go, mm, 
soup, spyware, or uh, or rather a backdoor with phone functionality. <laughs> Still like that. Yeah, so I thought uh, that definitely needed to be reported on. And that's it. That's our main topic for today. A um, little bit of a shorter show, but we are not done yet. We have some feedback uh, to talk about, and I at this point I have to play a little warning because this references um, older episode, and that means we're gonna talk a little bit about Corona as well. So yes, first of all, I had uh, a nice conversation with Mika, um, who is a Patreon supporter, and they wrote, I don't know uh, if they are male or female, no idea, I guess Mika could could be both, um, they wrote, uh, well, I, I, I took some, we, we had a we had we had a longer discussion, but I, I took some some stuff out of his uh, his message here, um, which is um, they say, I'm closely following what you did since you left Heise and their uplink, and I probably have to explain this. Uh, you might not know. So uh, when I was at Heise, uh, one of the things I started there with some colleagues was the podcast. Um, they. <laughs> When I came there, they, I, I guess I can't say they didn't have a podcast. They had like one other podcast, which at that point was like dead. Um, and certainly Heiser Online and CT themselves didn't have a podcast. So um, there was a colleague there who was like me, really like podcast. And, and he was like, when I, when I joined the company um, very early on, he came into my office and said, don't you do podcasts? And I'm like, I love podcasts. And he's like, me too. Uh, we should really start a podcast here. And so um, we found uh, two other guys who were interested. And we started this uh, this podcast, which is uh, now one of the most uh, listened to tech podcasts in German, I guess. Uh, CT, CT Uplink. CT Uplink. Uh, I came up with the name. At first, nobody liked uh, Uplink, but uh, it kind of stuck because nobody had a better idea. Anyway, so I was doing that, and you know, I have some some people in Germany who know me because of that. It was a video, so it was a you know, it had an audio feed, but it also was like a video show. Anyway, Mika said, uh, "I'm closely following what you did since you left Heiser and their Uplink. I may often not be sharing your opinion, but your well-laid-out thoughts often give me a second perspective on stuff, which I very much appreciate." And I really like it when people write to me like that and say stuff like that because I love that. I think that's great. I um, that's that's the goal. I mean, that's what I'm doing here. I don't want you to agree with me. Um, I want you to think for yourself and find your own uh, opinions. And also, you know, you don't have to agree. Um, this is this is also supposed to make you think. That's what I like. I like to listen to, I listen to podcasts, I read stuff uh, of people who often have very different uh, opinions and angles than me, um, especially politically. And, you know, that makes me think. I don't want to stew in my own juices. I just want to, don't want to listen to like three podcasts of people who have the exact same opinion as me. I mean, it, why why am I listening to that podcast? So um, I find it great. I've, I often find that not a lot of people share this and can't stand that kind of stuff. I guess they can't listen to people who have a different opinion. 
Um, but if you can do that, I um, respect that very much. And I think that's cool. And one of the great things is I like to talk to people. Like I, I love it when you send me stuff like this, um, like, you know, like Mika, tell me about it. Like, tell me what your opinion is and how you see things differently. And that's exactly what Mika did. Uh, continuing here, um, this is referencing the last episode, episode 17, where I talked about a um, technology, uh, 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 I think, philosophy professor who um, analyzed the um, coronavirus case data from the Robert Koch Institute, the RKI, and, you know, did some statistical analysis. Now, Mika says, um, first, first, first point, the statistics of the R-curve are hard. I know my way around statistics for my physics studies. Let me tell you, in such a graph, you should make sure the accuracy of your data is clear. In physics, you do this by showing your statistical and systematically uncertainties in the graph wherever appropriate. This cannot be done, however, without cluttering the plot. Um, I know exactly what you mean. These are these little, I don't know, they look like, they look like, like two T's, uh, you know, a T and a, a mirror, like they're like this, this line, you know, with with lines at right angle at the top and bottom, where it kind of shows, you know, I, I, my wife does um, biology and they do this kind of stuff as well. You know, it shows the uncertainty in the data you've collected. Um, I don't actually know the English term uh, for it, but, you know. Uh, this being said, I fear the corrections in time for, quote, real dates, subtract delays in forwarding data to the RKI, reduce the systematical errors, but might very well increase the statistical uncertainties substantially. However, this can be accounted for and should be laid out in scientific papers, since to judge if a measure is working at the date it is going to affect, I need to know if there's an uncertainty of plus minus three days on these dates anyway. Um, before I go into the second point, um, just a quick response to that. I, yeah, I think you're right. I, this is exactly um, what I wanted when I said, you know, people will write me about this if you know stuff about statistics. I think you're right. Um, I think the RKI doesn't, that, I think they don't see that as their uh, mission. And, and I don't think it is their mission. They're not a scientific, out, well, they're kind of a scientific, out, but they don't do science, right? The, the RKI is a government office. And they collect data. And what they are doing here is they're, they're basically pushing out raw data. What they have is uh, case data, um, so reports on when, when people get sick, when they get, well, when, no, reports on when people get diagnosed. Um, they have reports on when people are dying of a certain disease. And I guess they also have like people getting well. I don't know how that's collected though. So let's keep with the first two. Um, and they just push out that data. And I think they don't have statistical uncertainties in their graph because they are certain. They know that the only thing they're saying is this is our graph for um, confirmed illnesses. And this is the time in there is when we know about it. Um, and they don't publish papers and they don't do analysis of this data, generally speaking. Um, I mean, they do they do these briefings now, but generally that was never their purview. That was never their mission. Um, I think the problem here comes in when they publish this data and the press, and I think, once again, I'm going to be very hard on my colleagues. I think this is the fault of the press. I think I think the Robert Koch Institute 
has some issues as well, but I don't want to go into those now. Um, I think it's the presses at faulty because they take that graph and they just report it as fact. And, you know, they take the straight graph, which it is. It is, uh, it is good data. It is, it is a fact. But kind of what, what Mika gets into here and what I was getting into in the last episode is, sure, this is a fact, but you need to, um, you need to judge that. It's like, so it could be that this data is just um, delayed, right? Because of the way the data is reported, when people get tested, when that data gets to the Robert Koch Institute, there is a delay in here and somebody needs to um, analyze that, right? You need you need to have an analysis with this. Um, when, you, when you talk about this, you can't just go, uh, oh, uh, the infection rate, went up yesterday right you need you need to say well in the graph of the robert Koch, if you're doing a good job as a journalist and you understand your data which you should you're reporting on it should be going in the graph of the robert Koch institute it shows that you know yesterday the in fact the rate of people who uh who are got confirmed uh got a diagnosis um went up by 10 percent but um this doesn't mean that that was yesterday and then you have to go into you know the stuff this professor goes into the article that you know the telepolis article that the journalist should have done that job uh, a journalist the journalists who are reporting on these numbers should have gone into that data and said well there's probably we don't really know but there's probably a few days of delays here because the Robert Koch Institute reports data when they get it. And, you know, there's times before that. And well, it takes a while for the people to show symptoms, to go to the doctor. It takes a while for the test to come back. Everything I went into. And I think the danger here is, I mean, the problem is not the RKI who didn't do a good job reporting this data. Um, or maybe they should have told the journalist. I don't know. Um, you know, if you publish this data and then a journalist takes it as, yesterday the cases increased i think if you work for the press office at the robert Koch institute you need to go well wait a moment um you're wrong there that's not what that data says we don't really know what the data says in that respect but that's not what it says because there's probably a delay or something you know somebody needs to do that i personally think the journalists need to do that my problem was that that wasn't done and the problem with that is um now okay this this gets more into the realm of speculation and my personal opinion, but I feel so. I know not only do I know a little bit about journalism because I, it's my job, um, I also know a little bit about politics, uh, not on like a national level, uh, not from my own experience, you know. But my dad was a politician, a local politician, and so I know a little bit about how how they work. And he wasn't like a he was like a career politician, right? He wasn't. Um, he wasn't an elected official. Uh, he was like a party, uh, you know, he was one of the party, pe party people, <laughs> party people, uh, the, the, the party man, right? He was, he was, um, uh, he wasn't elected. He was like employed by the party to keep stuff running, to do, you know, like the party office running, like that, that kind of thing. But, you know, he knew that, that he knew everybody and, you know, he had to work with everybody and you learn a lot. And, politicians you know there's this feeling especially i think in germany 
um, where everybody thinks, well, they get their information from experts. And, you know, certainly, yes, uh, the Bundestag, our parliamentary uh, members of parliament, they have um, experts that work for them. They have people that work for them that talk to experts, that do research. But, you know, a lot of the stuff politicians do is informed by the press. It's by what they read. And when all the press, when there's data published by the Robert Koch Institute, which is a reliable source, and then the press interprets it in a way, and it's just out there, that's what politicians will will get. You know, that's what, what they make decisions on. It's not to say that they also get scientists in, but, you know, that is just the thing that worries me. And also, it it's 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 even if the politicians, you know, do... Uh, make their decisions on on having consulted experts this phenomenon is still a problem because in a democracy you know you elect um your government and you elect your officials and then you have to keep people have to keep them hold them to account and that's the job of the press and the public the voters and if the press misinforms the voters you can't do that right if if that's based on wrong information, but you know, don't want to go deeper in there anyway. That's my reply to that point. And then uh, Mika has a second point um, on the date the quote lockdown. He, he or she says uh, quote lockdown. I think let's call it lockdown. Um, the lockdown went into effect. I was in home office by strong advice of my employer for one week already. Also, a lot of other businesses have done this even before us. So I would expect the R number to go down significantly during the last at least a week before the lockdown so i would assume we did effective social distancing before however the lockdown having no real effect at all above the quote self-imposed carefulness is somewhat strange um i think this is a great point mika um, one i didn't hadn't thought of specifically but you're right i think a lot of people um, went in lockdown because yeah, I mean they announced it before the uh, the the law the rules the, the edict came into effect, and but I st I don't think it's 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 um, strange that the the actual lockdown didn't have an effect because I think this this is what I think and this is of course I have to say this is hindsight hindsight's twenty twenty um, I'm saying this now I'm not saying the politicians who decided this should have known and I once again I've never said. I think these measures um, were taken were wrong. Um, I I don't know. I don't know yet. I, I haven't made up my mind. I don't know if I will ever have an opinion on this. Um, but I think we need to analyze it. And if obviously the politicians back then could have no couldn't have known, we have hindsight now. But I mean, their decision was a lot harder because they didn't. You know, we are looking at it now with months of a month of data or whatever that they didn't have so this is not a reflection on the decision that was taken i'm just thinking looking back i think it's clear that at least in germany we're talking germany only germany german data here um the german populace i think um we should we wouldn't have had needed any laws and any changes of laws and any edicts and anything um, i think a strong recommendation from from the the chancellor and the government and the local governments uh, especially to employers and you know i mean the one thing they should would have had to do is like close the schools right that's something the government has to do if they don't do that in germany by law you have to send your kid to school so that's the thing they can do but all the other things like i think they should have just um 
given a recommendation, a strong recommendation, I think this would have the same thing would have happened. A lot of employers, um, because the the social awareness and the 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 society was for these measures, so I think a lot of people would have, would have done it anyway, especially if their employers support it. And I think we we've seen companies coming out, yeah, we keep everybody at home, like it's the cool thing to do now. It's like good PR to say, ah, we all social distancing and home office and stuff. So I think they would have done that anyway. And I think what you're seeing here, I think why the laws didn't have any effect is because everybody that complied complied because they would have complied anyway, and there was nobody who who didn't comply who complied because there was a law passed i think i mean there's certainly people who, who got fines and and you know were told off by the police and stuff but still i mean they, i feel like everybody who was going to do it would have done it anyway okay hindsight 2020 we don't know um but i don't want to as, as i said before i don't want to say um if these measures were correct or not what i feel like is that they were too heavy-handed um, and I just I am personally disappointed in our in, when we're talking Germany here um, in the general populace's understanding of civil liberties and of the law and of the constitution. And I'm also dis I don't, I'm not really disappointed in politicians. I'm a bit aghast that it went down like it did. But also in hindsight, I'm not surprised because you know I study politics, I study history. Can't really be surprised that people in power do things um, that keep them in power or give them more power. I mean, that's just, it's just it's how politics works. Um, but I'm aghast that the, there wasn't more of an outcry in the populace, and that is that is just that's the only thing. I mean, people are shouting on me on Twitter um, as if I said, you know, open every everybody go out, hug everybody, kiss everybody, let's all die of the virus. Um, I'm being treated like that. I'm, you know, people call me right wing and stuff like that. And the only thing I'm doing is I'm saying I'm 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 not even worried about what was going on in this situation. I'm you know, as somebody who studied a lot of German history, um I am worried that there wasn't a bigger outcry because I feel like in another situation Whereas, whereas where other um, restrictions of civil and personal liberties are taken by the people in power that are maybe not as justified as they were in this case, if we didn't have an outcry here, we won't have an outcry there. The people who think, um, the people who, who think and say that we shouldn't um, complain now because the situation at hand um, justifies the means, they don't understand that whether the populace ex accepts these m measures has no causal relationship with if they were justified. If you believe that, you do not understand human nature. And sorry, you can disagree with me, but I would say just read some history because the thing is, um, even in today's, you know, you'd say, oh, we also informed on the internet. But, you know, as we just explained, all the journalists report a certain thing and and that's the way it's going to be reported and nobody looks into it deeper anymore. Um, 
so we're not more informed really um i wouldn't even say we're more informed than 100 years ago and that that is the problem emergency measures always seem justified in the moment and only history later tells you like we're doing now we're looking back right only history tells you later if those were justified and and you know it's like for the people i'm sorry to bring this up again but it is it is relevant um the people who lived through the nazis rise to power and the fall of the weimar republic if you read their accounts you know, in hindsight, you're like, why didn't they stop it? Why didn't they see the danger? And the problem is, and this is the hardest thing to do about history, you need to try as best as you can to put yourself into the shoes of the people living at the time. And if you do that, and if you read eyewitness accounts from people who later left the country or, you know, who were staunch Democrats, um, quite a few of them supported measures that were taken back then because the situation... And it was a you know after World War One you know we had that you know first of all, there was famine there was uh, there was revolutions all over the place in Germany later we had the uh, the Great Depression um, there was hardship and there were measures that they thought at the time were justified and only twenty years ten years later you figure out hey shit this is how the Nazis got to power we should have fought back right and that's that's what worries me it worries me that if a population just accepts something like this it'll be way too easy in the future to miss misuse misuse a you know a situation like this or you know just if and you know i just feel like our our political system showed itself as not being as resilient resilient as it should be against these things. And I'm looking at the US, who, uh, you know, I've, I've criticized their political system a lot in the past. If you listen to old podcasts of mine, and, you know, I'm, maybe I'm getting more older, maybe I'm getting wiser, I'm seeing a lot more things. And I must say, you know, you get stuff like people who are in Michigan uh, and they have guns on their back and they're protesting that their governor doesn't open the state back up, you know, and they get whipped in the press. And the German press, oh, look at these gun nuts. And I, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, well, if you lean back and if you look at what you can see there is their system is working. right? These people, if you agree with them or not, it's not the matter. They are doing a thing they are supposed to do in a democracy. They are identifying something that they think is a threat to their personal liberties and they are using their constitutional means to fight it, including having rifles strapped to their back, because that is, if you like it or not, it is in the U.S. Constitution. And that is their right. And I respect these people very much for exercising their constitutional rights. And I, I mean, I'm not saying I personally agree with them being armed and going to the courthouse. But they are doing what they are supposed to do under their constitution as as a um, responsible citizen in their democratic system. And I respect these people a lot more than the journalists who are like, oh, they have guns on their back. And then it's like, so <clears throat> a few days later, I think this was in Michigan as well, a... Um, a security guard at a supermarket was shot because he told a woman to put a face mask on. And then, some, I don't know if she shot him, somebody shot him. And 
And then there was these idiotic, I gotta say, idiotic journalists at the New York Times, for one place, we're like, oh, look at that, Michigan, first they protest and then they shoot someone. And they equate these people, right? They go, like, those are obviously the same people that shot the protest. And there were stories that used images from the protests for this, where somebody shot a security guard. Like, if I was the protester on that picture, I would have fucking sued the newspaper. I would probably won a lot of money because that is just libel right they're basically saying <laughs> you shot that woman because they have a story about a woman that was shot in the same in the same state might be like hundreds of kilometers apart and they're using a picture from you from a few days earlier where you were protesting peacefully i mean they had guns strapped to their back but they were protesting peacefully it's like the, i don't have any respect for these people that are equating that and then immediately it's like all oh, these trump supporters you don't know if these people are trump supporters that's just ah. Anyway, <laughs> bit of a rant. <laughs> I guess I'm awake now. The coffee's working. Anyway, Mika closes with that saying, keep up the great work and keep the rants coming. <laughs> I, you could have said I planned this. I didn't plan this. I don't, I, you know, I I don't plan stuff like this. But yes, you had a rant there. <laughs> uh, was loving those in your daily morning call. I'm a bit sad that uh, I'm not doing morning call any, anymore. I would. Um, that was fun. Um, for a while when i started as a freelancer in case you don't know i did like a morning stream and um, where i did like tech news and um also record that as a podcast um and sent that out every morning and that was a lot of fun and i kind of i'm using that's kind of my newsletter so if you uh again fab.industry slash newsletter if you sign up to that you also get rants they're in written form but it's quite sarcastic that newsletter sometimes um Sometimes I still tell stories, uh, personal stories. Um, yeah, um, I'm kind of missing that. I just couldn't, it, it was too much work. I mean, I'm, I don't get paid for that. It's like free content. It's like the newsletter's free content. But the newsletter I can do in between, right? Um, and that I had to do every morning. It was great. It got me up in the morning, got me thinking, and uh, it was great to do. But uh, I wish, you know, if... I have like this dream at some point uh, I'll have a, enough Patreon supporters or whatever um, that I can survive doing this and I don't have to write for money anymore, which I still would do, you know, I would write for people, but I didn't have to do all of that. And, you know, that amount of stuff just to keep, to keep me afloat. If I only had like Patreon supports, I would do morning call again in a heartbeat. Um, it was just eating into, into time I needed to earn money. That was that was the problem. Anyway, I uh, also had a nice uh, messages back and forth with SJ, who's a new Patreon supporter, and they also told me they liked the show. Just want to mention that I appreciate that a lot. And then I um, I mentioned on the last episode uh, in the feedback section, um, Bennett, who um, was talking about skipping some episodes because they were coronavirus related, and um, he replied to that comment on the show. Uh, and said i do enjoy your podcast on the topic uh, i.e coronavirus it's less exhausting when the coverage is not full of bullshit uh in his defense he didn't write bullshit he uh censored that but i don't like i personally think if you're gonna you know i hate people who like sense of fuck and they put like the little star like either use the swear word or don't use it but no i i don't i don't mean that uh a disparaging need to uh, ban it is just like something i put it i put bullshit in the show notes um but it's less exhausting when the coverage is not full of bullshit 
Okay, I have to read that again, sorry. Uh, I do enjoy your podcast on the topic. It's less, less exhausting when the coverage is not full of bullshit, but I like some variety and a break from time to time. Completely understand. Seriously, I wasn't I wasn't a dig on you. I completely understand. I, I think you're not the only one. Um, this is why I clearly try to label, like in the beginning of the show, this coronavirus related. And um, that's probably, I have some stuff lined up that it's, I don't know, it's probably going to be the next show. Still, th- I'm still thinking to make that an extra show as i said last time can't really commit to that but you know there's more coronavirus stuff coming up um but i completely understand taking break from time to time and that's it for the feedback um if you want to contact me because you have other opinions and you want to uh rant back (laughs) also if you think i knew something wrong please tell me um i can take it believe me um I've, I've done this job now for a job as a journalist and as a podcaster for a long time and you wouldn't believe the stuff that people have written to me, and I, I, I can take it. <laughs> so, you know, fire away. Their contact details are in the show notes, and they're on the website privatecitizen.press. Private citizen, one word, and then dot .press. And I talked about Patreon uh, before, and my humble dream of one day just making a living out of this i'd love to do that um if you want to support me in this in this grant a dream of mine i have a dream (laughs) you can toss a coin to your podcaster as it were toss a coin to your podcaster or valley of plenty a valley of plenty oh yeah i'm not gonna (laughs) not gonna have a career as a a musician uh (laughs) um you can do that um you can become a patron supporter there's several tiers i believe you can also uh just name your own price it's kind of cool for me because it's like it's a it's a bit of a dependable thing but if you don't want to commit to that if you want to uh send me money uh, in another way, you can also use PayPal, producers at Fab Industries, producers at fab.industries. PayPal works. Um, producers, because you are not listeners, you are producers, you're helping out, you know, pitching money, you're sending me information. And I want to I wanna honor that. That's kind of like the value for value model that I use for this show, which is something... Uh, Adam Curry, the podfather, and uh, his ghost, John C. Devora, came up with on No Agenda, which I um, respect a lot. And like them, I think that is the future of media. I think it's hard, but I think this direct relationship with your audience that supports you is is the only way um, people can really speak out um, what they think and also talk about unpopular opinions because you don't have to worry about advertising pulling the money you know you don't have to worry about people trying to cancel you and you know writing to your uh, to your boss and getting you fired which is something that this person happened to me <laughs> i was lucky to work for heiser where they were like i <laughs> think uh, my editor-in-chief actually sent me the uh, email i was like what is this guy on about he said once you fired about some commentary about star citizen and I explained to him what it was about and he was like okay i'm gonna write back to him <laughs> it's like i told him very politely to fuck off <laughs> That was great. But, you know, not everybody works for somebody like that. And now I I'm, I don't work for anybody anymore, which is great for me personally. Um, and I didn't get fired, um, contrary to people who have said that in the past. I've quit and I can still remember my boss's face 
when I walked into his office and I told him to sit down, he was like, what? <laughs> yeah, that came out of nowhere for them. Um, but that felt great. Anyway, so now I'm in a, in a position to beg for money. I, you know, I, I realized that I'm doing a privacy podcast and both Patreon and PayPal are not bad, not uh, the best solution for that. I am looking actively for other solutions. If you have some, uh, please also write me. Um, we looked at some some in the past. One um, one thing requirement I have is that they know what they're doing in respect to taxes, <laughs> because uh, I need to. That needs to be sorted out. I need to have a way to be sure that whatever they need to do is taken care of, and I'll do the rest. I don't want any trouble with the tax man. I cannot afford that. That is way more trouble than I want. Um, I mean, if if guess no agenda, for example, they get sent cash and checks. Um, I mean, you can certainly send me cash if you write me an email. Uh, contact details, as I said, in the show notes or fab.industry slash contact. Um, we can sort that out. I mean, you could probably send me checks. I've never, I've never. It would be wrong for me to say I've never seen a check. I can remember very early memories when I was about six, seven. My dad used to write checks. He used to have a checkbook. And but I think by the time I was eight or nine, uh credit cards had come around, everybody sees credit cards. And I've I've personally I've never written a check. And I've never cashed a check. <laughs> but you know I'll be willing to try. Um anyway, I'm just dragging this out. Uh show's been going on uh long enough. I think uh this is over an hour. This is uh the mark I wanted to hit, and now we're over it. <laughs> <laughs> so um i think i should uh, start saying goodbye here um, i would like to thank everybody who uh, was involved in this so that is first uh, i have to thank bitemark at bitemark.co.uk uh we have no sponsors on the show no advertising but i have a history of bitemark where uh, uh years ago um, they um, gave me a free server, a free cloud server, their cloud hoster in the UK um, that I'm using um, to store and uh, send out the audio files, actually, at two servers. Um, and it's great. You know, I couldn't do that without them because otherwise I had to pay for the bandwidth and, oh, God, to have a company and they would, you know, I mean, there are companies to do this, but then they try to track people. I just love it. I just have a server that has files on it and nginx and nothing else um and you know tracking anybody it's just a normal web server so i love that uh, that's there so and i'm thankful to bitemark for that and um raul kabzali i want to mention him he wrote the song acoustic roots which i'm using as the theme song for this show which i love that song um so uh, i license it from him but i still want to mention his name and the song because maybe you want to want to find uh the music or you know want to check out his other stuff um the name is also written in the show notes of course because it's a bit not straightforward when you jump <laughs> um and then i have to thank everybody who supported this particular episode by um pitching in and um sending me money via either being a patron or by paypal and those people are Niall Donegan, Michael Mullen Jensen, Jonathan M. Hathy, Georges Walther, Dave, Eric G. Potter Test, bit of stealth advertising, I guess. Well, it's an open source project, so we're okay. 
Butterbeans, Kaisiers, Mark Holland, Steve O's, Shelby Kruver, Fanny Mansour, Vlad, Matt Jalleman, Joe Poser, Jackie Plage, 1I11G, IKN, Dave Amrish, Dirk Didi, David Potter, Vitautas Sadowskis, Ricky M, Drive Zero, Mika, Jonathan Edwards, Barry Williams, and SJ. So um, I thank all of you. Thanks for supporting the show. I appreciate it very much. Um, it helps me justify the time I put into the show every week. Yeah, and with that, uh, that's it for today. I hope you are doing well um, in these, as everybody keeps saying, trying times. Um, I appreciate that you keep tuning in to this podcast. Please let me know if there's any topics you want me to uh, research or talk about. And otherwise, I'll see you soon um, with another episode of The Private Citizen. Until then, stay free. Don't let the law catch you. You know, watch out for your privacy and I'll see you further on up the road, my friend. <laughs>